Well, great to see you. Two quick things to mention. Um, we're finishing the book of Ezekiel this Wednesday, so you can join with us on that. Uh, the book ends brilliantly. It begins brutal, and it ends, the last verse, is one of the coolest verses in the Old Testament. So that's this Wednesday, 7 o'clock. Uh, going forward, we're going to finish King Me today. So moving forward, the plan is, uh, Lord willing, uh, we're going to tackle the book of Genesis. Yeah, so Genesis, if you get Genesis, you get pretty much everything because the promises are there of the coming one, and the snake crusher. That's the first introduction to Jesus. He will come and crush Satan's head. So on Sundays, we'll be looking at something topically out of Genesis, whatever chapter we're in. And then Wednesday, we'll be going a bit more in depth. You can get lost in Genesis. So it won't be like diving into every detail, but giving you enough that you can really handle that book. Um, I've been joining with hopefully you guys in reading through the Bible. We finished Genesis this week. It's such a brilliant book. I'm like, this is the book we have to teach. So we'll jump in on that coming up. But we're going to finish King Me today. Um, so grab your Bible, Second Peter chapter 1, this time beginning in verse 8. So we're ending really the thought that Peter has here. Second Peter 3.8. Excuse me, 2 Peter 1. 2 Peter, I was thinking 2 Peter 1, 3 through 8, and I guess I might be slightly dyslexic. 2 Peter 1, verse 8. For if these qualities, what we studied the last eight weeks, virtue, faith, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, 
you may be able at any time to recall these things. Jesus, thanks for inspiring the Apostle Peter to pen these words that now, 2,000 years later, help to guide, direct, establish us, Lord. So may we hear, may we obey. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. A couple of years ago, maybe more than that, I read a book. For me, it was a good book. And the book began by saying, suppose you went to a movie and the movie was all about a man who wanted to get a Volvo. At the end of the movie, the man gets the Volvo, he drives off the lot, and the final scene is him testing the windshield wipers. Would you go watch that movie? Would you admit you watched the movie if you did? (laughs) And yet the book said, how many people live lives just like that? How much of our life is actually that story? A man wants something, a car, a quad, and the man gets that. Story's over. A woman wants something, some pants, a shirt, some makeup, some shoes, some more shoes, yet another pair of shoes, yet another pair. I have four ladies in my house. We're going to battle Amelda Marcos. Remember her? She had like 300, we're we're really close to 3,000 pairs of shoes. She gets the shoes. Okay. I mean, and I read that and I thought, oh my goodness, how true that is. That's a lot of our story. Well, the Bible, I am convinced, holds out for humanity a much better story. And so in the Bible, you have these hints where God says, I has not seen and ear has not heard the wonderful things that God has in store for his people and it's not getting a Volvo. Or Ephesians 3.20, now unto him that's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think unto him be the glory. Like, like it holds this out for us, like there's something better. And so this whole series has been, our destiny is much better than getting a Volvo. Our destiny as believers is to one day rule and reign with King Jesus. And right now we can begin that process. That we have to wait for something out there. It's already happened to us. And we can have eschatological authenticity, which means simply we begin to live our destiny live like godly kings and queens. So we went through this first part of this chapter and looked at these qualities. Like these are supposed to be the qualities of kings and queens in God's kingdom. And it's very different than the monarchies of the past where if you became queen, it meant you were served. If you were a king, that meant you were in charge. Jesus inverts the whole thing. and He says, the kings in my kingdom actually serve people. The kings in my kingdom don't use the law. They use this last word, this last word in our list. They rule by love. It's a whole different kind of king. It's a whole different kind of queen. So right now we can begin to live these things. And then Peter, before he 
jaunts off onto another topic, he ends with a really, really important, I guess, warning, but also encouragement. And there are three things I want us to grab as we finish this series. There is the possibility, there's the problem, and there's the plan. Peter's a really good preacher. He gives us, hey, here's what's possible for you. Here's the problem that most of us face, but here's the plan how you overcome it, okay? So first of all, I want us to see what's possible. As a believer in Jesus, here's what's possible. It's verse eight. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you, they keep you. The qualities do from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse eight just said this, you'll flourish. The possibility for a believer is this, you can flourish. You can be effective. You can be fruitful. Who wants to be effective and fruitful in their life, right? There might be one dude, no, I'd rather be useless. Now, I'm learning how to take breaks on my break, in fact. I wanna be the last person that still plays Pokemon Go, okay? If that's you, you can be excused because we're gonna talk about how to be fruitful and how to be effective and how to flourish because that's what this text is saying to us. This can happen for you. And all of us, unless we're broken really bad and some of us are, all of us have that desire because it was actually put into us in Genesis chapter one. God's mandate to humanity was this, be fruitful, multiply, rule over this earth, subdue it. God in the very beginning put into us this desire to be effective and to be fruitful. And that's in all of us in unique ways, no doubt, with our personalities and with our giftings, but it's in each one of us. In fact, Jesus comes in John 15. He says, what my hope is for you is this, that you bear fruit, more fruit and much fruit. Humans, we're supposed to be, when we get renewed by Jesus, we're supposed to be the most flourishing, effective, fruitful people on the planet. So Peter right here says, listen, this is possible. You can be fruitful, you can be effective. Okay, big deal, Matt. Matt. Why are you harping on this? Here's why. I think that what can happen in the life of a believer is we can hit a barrier kind of, that we believe that we can't be fruitful and we can't flourish and we can't be effective. Sometimes it's because of our past. I'll talk to people and they'll say, Matt, no, I can't do that. I can't be involved in that. I can't go there. And I'll say, why? Well, because I did this in my past. So their past to them becomes this barrier for them ever going somewhere. Now more, it's, more than ever, I hear it's my culture or our culture, I should say, American culture. That, ah, oh, man, they're not gonna hear or that's not gonna work in our culture. So now culture, America, has become a barrier for Christians to really flourish. There's all these kind of reasons. My personality is wrong. Everyone has an excuse. And to me, it's deception. But once you have that barrier in your life, once you put it there for yourself, guess what happens? You won't break it. You'll just stay there. You'll stay put. You have to know the barrier is gone. It's huge. I'll give you an example of it. So if you and I could reverse the clock and we lived in 1954, science at that time said this, 
It was impossible for the human to run a sub four minute mile. They said the heart would stop. They have all this kind of scientific data for that. You could not run a sub four minute mile. That was the common knowledge at that time. You can't do it, impossible. There was a barrier put up and it lasted for centuries until a guy named Roger Bannister broke the four minute, sub four minute mile. He did it in 1954. Guess what happened in 1955? 37 people broke the sub four minute mile. Guess what happened in 1956? 300 people broke the four minute mile. Why? Barrier was gone. In 2017, I'm gonna break the sub four minute mile. <laughs> That's how important it is. That's what Peter is saying. Listen, believer, don't be deceived. There's no asterisks on this text. There's no, oh, but I didn't mention. If you have this kind of past, this doesn't mean, or if you have this kind of personality, this doesn't mean, or if this kind of culture, uh, it, no, there's no asterisks on this. This is God's word saying, you can flourish and you can be effective and you can be fruitful. Don't let the enemy put a barrier for your flourishing because the Bible says you can. Very important. Well, Matt, I'm not flourishing and I'm not effective and I'm not fruitful. Okay. Well, listen to the problem Peter sees. It's verse nine. For whoever lacks these qualities, remember it is these qualities that keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So now Dr. Peter diagnoses for some of us that are saying, hey, I'm not fruitful. He diagnoses the problem. Here's the problem. And before I jump into it, I just want to say one thing. There is a correlation between Christian character and fruitfulness. Do you know that? We live in a kind of a culture now where there is this idea that how you live or who you are as a person doesn't matter on your effectiveness or fruitfulness as a believer. It's wrong. I get to do all kinds of cool things. I've been able to go to India and lead pastor conferences of 500 pastors. Like it's one of the coolest things I've ever done in my life. I've been able to go all over the world. I've been to 30 plus countries. I just think, wow, how awesome is that? Sharing the gospel all over the world. I get invited to graduation events and banquets and really cool stuff. I get to come up here every Sunday and Wednesday and do what I love to do, teach God's word. Now, would I be able to have that same access and same fruitfulness if I was unfaithful to my wife? If I embezzled funds from Edgewater? If I went out and got drunk every weekend? No, because Christian character and fruitfulness are tied together. One of the qualities in here that we study is self-control. It matters how I live, okay? So Peter here says, the problem, the reason why many of us can become ineffective, unfruitful, is we have an eye problem. And he says, you're nearsighted. Interesting. You're nearsighted. You no longer see out the goal, long-term goal, 
that Jesus has for all of us, that he one day says, I want you to join with me to rule and reign the cosmos. You've, you're nearsighted now. And when you get nearsighted, here's what happens to you. I'll explain it like this. When Charity and I got married 17 years ago, I had this idyllic vision of what life would be when I had kids. Anyone do that? It doesn't materialize the way that you thought it would. Like you're humbled by some things with kids, like, oh my goodness. So I had this idyllic vision that on sunny days in June, I would be on our patio, sipping iced tea, getting a massage, as one of my kids mowed the lawn. Just like, yes, heaven, I've arrived. Well, one of those things have come true. My kids do mow the lawn, or at least that's what they call it. They mow everything, frisbees, softballs, other children, trees, like it's crazy. I'm like, what in the world? And then I had this idea that my lawn would look like Wrigley Field, you know, where it has all those perfect lines. And you're like, oh, paradise. That's not my house. The Heavenly Estates looks like Picasso Field. It's just all over the place. Here's why. And I've tried to help my kids on this, but I can't seem to do it. Here's how they mow the lawn. They look at the front tire of the mower and that's it. And when you look at the front tire of a mower, you're nearsighted, what happens? You zigzag all over the place. And then the next row amplifies the zigzags from the last row and just gets worse and worse as you go across. The key to getting straight lines is what? You gotta look way out at the end. And if you look way out at the end, you get super straight lines. That's a Christian life. When we get so nearsighted, we forget the big call of Jesus on our life. We forget the prize that's supposed to be in front of us. Philippians chapter three, verse 14. When we forget those things, we zigzag. We go all over the place. We don't understand what we've been called to do. You gotta keep the big goal in mind. This is what I'm called to be. So I'm gonna start acting like it today. That's how you live life. And then he says this, here's the main problem why you're, why you're nearsighted. Check this out. It's actually kind of astonishing. You've forgotten, verse nine, that he was cleansed from his former sins. That's interesting to me. I would have thought Peter would put something about the cross there instead, but he doesn't. Instead he says, the main problem with you right now, the reason why you're ineffective and you're unfruitful and you're not seeing these qualities increase in you is because you've forgotten something huge and it's the fact that you were cleansed from your sins. I wanna share with you two things that as a believer, you have to keep in your mind all the time. And too often what happens in certain kind of systems is we put a period where I think the Bible actually puts a comma. And the two things are this, it's Jesus's work. First is this, never forget Jesus's work for you on the cross. Historic, monumental, reconciled us to the Father. He substituted for us. On and on, redeemed us out of the world, okay? Number one, you can never forget what Jesus has done for each of us on the cross. But the second one is just as important, and it's right here what Peter's talking about. When Peter says, here's what you've forgotten, here's how you've gotten nearsighted, it's because you've forgotten, number two, and it's this, what Jesus did to us 
at salvation. What Jesus did for us on the cross, awesome. But you must always remember what Jesus also did to us at salvation. If you don't remember this second part, what happens is you become very fatalistic in this one because you keep waiting for Jesus to do something else. When Jesus is like, I already did it, man. Second Peter 1, 3, you've been given everything you need. What are you waiting for? We must never forget number two, and that's what Jesus has done to us at salvation. He has cleansed us from our sins. So you read the Old Testament, here's what you see. It's a big story where God does a lot of things for his people. He frees them from Pharaoh. He takes care of them, parts the Red Sea, feeds them manna, gives them his word, dwells with them, right? But what is the big, big problem in the Old Testament? Failure, 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 failure. Why? Because something else had to happen. And so we studied Ezekiel 36 last Wednesday. And in Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel gets it. They're in exile now. The final repercussions of their failure happen in Babylon. And so Ezekiel holds out this hope. Here's the hope. It's verses 25 through 28 of Ezekiel 36. One of the most important texts in the Old Testament. He says, what's gonna happen is God's gonna give you a brand new heart and God's gonna give you his spirit and God's gonna cleanse you. And on top of that, now you will be able to keep the commands. You'll be able to flourish. See, the problem was this right over here. We had to wait to get that new heart and that new spirit. And now that you have that new heart and new spirit, guess what? You can obey. You can do it. You've been given everything that you need for life and for godliness. The New Testament just puts it like this. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I'm not that dude anymore. Don't forget that. Their issue, their nearsightedness came because they forgot that they had been cleansed. They forgot that Jesus Christ, yes, he defeated sin and death on the cross, but also Jesus Christ has given me a new heart and a new spirit, a new power source that now I can keep the command. Romans 8, 12 says this, you are no longer a debtor to your flesh. You know what that means? I don't have to do the junk anymore. That's what it means. Now, that seems so simple. It does, but it seems at least once a month, maybe more often. I have a conversation with a young man that will say this to me. Oh, Matt, I blew it again. What happened, bud? Oh, you know, I went to the bar and I got drunk and got in a fight and lost my wallet and lost my job and lost my house and I got this new tattoo I hate. Man, I just didn't want to do it. I couldn't help myself. Really? Really? So you were kidnapped. They fixed you up really good and combed your hair really nicely, drug you to a bar, shoved a beer bong in your throat and poured a keg in. Well, no. Okay, you're acting like you're a debtor to your flesh. Listen, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't owe anything to your flesh anymore. It has no control over you anymore. Don't forget that you have been cleansed from your sins. That's what you've been cleansed from. Don't forget that you are royalty in training. Don't forget that one day you will judge angels. Don't forget that right now you are the very temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't forget that. Don't forget these things. Why? Because they keep you fruitful and effective and flourishing. 
Do not forget that. Edgewater Christian Fellowship, if you have believed in Jesus Christ, you have been cleansed. You are no longer a debtor to your flesh. You do not need to do those things anymore. You've been set free. Don't forget that. That's the problem. Too often, people forget this simple little statement. You've been cleansed. Well, Matt, how do I keep not forgetting that? Here's the plan, and it's brilliant. The plan is simple. You have a part to play, and I have a part to play. We both participate in this plan. So your part is this, you practice. Notice what it says over and over in this text. Verse five, make every effort. You and I are to make every effort. Verse eight, if these are yours and are increasing. Verse 10, therefore brothers, Practice these qualities and you will never fall. In verse 11, if you do, you will be given a grand entrance into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Notice the theme there? Effort, increasing, practice. Then you enter the kingdom. We're supposed to participate in this thing. We practice, we say, we wanna be these things. I got my eye on the goal. Man, that's a really good goal and I am going for it. I'm in it to win it. Practice, effort, increasing. Well, how do you do that? I think here, Peter's actually remembering something Jesus had told him. Because Jesus quotes this statement five different times. And when Jesus quotes something a bunch of times, it's his highlighter. And it's this, it's Matthew 13, 12. It's the first time in the canon of scripture that we see it. And he says this, he says, those that have more will be given them. But those that don't have, even what they think they have will be taken away from them. Now, Jesus is gonna quote that four different times from there on. And the context is always different like hearing, doing, all these kind of different contexts. If you put those five things together, here's what you find. I believe Jesus is saying, if you don't use it, you lose it. If you're not using what I've given to you, what's been taught to you, if you're not using it, you will lose it. You gotta practice it. And I think that principle applies spiritually, physically, financially, family, every, across everything in life. If you don't use it, you lose it. I broke my arm in college and then put a cast on it. And for seven weeks, I had a cast on. When they took the cast off, the doctor had replaced my arm with a toothpick. I was like shocked. What happened? I didn't use it. Atrophy happened and I lost all the muscle in my arm, right? Pyramids, there, there are these massive pyramids in Egypt. Huge. Are we still building pyramids? Mm -mm. In fact, if you've ever, ever watched a documentary, no one knows how to build a pyramid. Somehow, 3,000 years ago, 3,500 years ago, they built these massive pyramids. We go, oh, we can't really do that. We don't even know how to move those stones up. They're too heavy for us. Our modern equipment cannot move the stones that they moved. 
What happened? At some point, people stopped making pyramids and the truth to make pyramids disappeared. See, Jesus gives us a secret here. Peter's echoing it. If you don't lose it, if you don't use it, you lose it. Have you been around a new believer recently? I spent a little bit of time with one. And I'm amazed at this man's growth. Like, I'm like, wow, you are growing leaps and bounds. It's amazing. Why is it that new believers just seem to grow at this phenomenal rate? And then yet, as we get older, we don't. Because the Bible seems to hold that like we can go from glory to glory, from strength to strength, from faith to faith. The Bible seems to hold that like you can keep growing and increasing. Here's what I've noticed about a new believer. They hear a truth and they're like, oh my goodness, I need to do that. That is so much for me. I'm going to go practice that. It's like they do that right away. But as I've gotten older, maybe you as well, now I hear truth. Here's what happens to me. I hear a really good message on, hey, love your neighbor as yourself. And what do I think? I should send this to my neighbor. (laughs) Man, they need to hear this. Right? Get a message on loving your spouse. Did my wife write that down? I'm getting a CD and putting that in my husband's truck. Right? It's like now we've come to a spot where truth now just seems to be like, we're kind of like, it's for them. But new believers, truth is for me. I've got to apply this. I've got to walk this thing out. I've got to do this. You know what the Bible calls that? It calls it walking in the spirit. Minding the values of the spirit. Romans chapter 8 in Galatians chapter five. In fact, in Galatians five, right after it talks about the fruit of the spirit, the the next verse is this. So walk in the spirit. It means this, when the spirit gives you truth, you don't say, man, I think that's for my wife. I think that's for my husband. I think that's for my neighbor. I think that's for my boss. You say, that's for me. I'm gonna walk that out. I'm going to put that into practice this week because when you do, you're fruitful and you're effective and you flourish. So that's the first side. We're supposed to practice these things. Knowing there's our goal. Yes, I want to be that. So I'm going to live this out and put this into practice right now. But there's the other part of it. And that's my responsibility. Notice what Peter says. Verse 11, 12, excuse me. Therefore, because of everything I've just shared, verse 2 Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and eleven. Therefore, because of all this, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities virtue, faith, self control, godliness, knowledge, steadfastness, brotherly affection, love. I'm intending to remind you of these things. Though you know them, and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. What's Peter 
telling this church that he probably started, what's he telling them that his main job was to do? I'm gonna remind you, what? Of love, brotherly affection, faith, self-control, steadfastness, knowledge. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep, remind you that, that you, you've been cleansed from your sin. That's what I'm gonna do. Keep going over and over. What Jesus has done for us, the cross. What Jesus has done to us, the new covenant. I'm gonna keep reminding you of these things over and over and over and over again. That's my job, to keep reminding you. You know why? Because humans are forgetful. We're just forgetful. On Wednesday night, kind of off the cuff, I'm teaching through Ezekiel. I was going to quote Romans 10.9. Romans 10.9 is one of the most important verses in the Bible. I put that to memory ages ago. Guess what happened to me on Wednesday night? I forgot it. I'm like, Mm-mm. and someone in the front row was like, just spat it off for me. I'm like, yeah, that's it right there. You know, if we were a Southern Baptist, I would've been fired on the spot. The elders would've just stood up and said, you're fired, get out of here. Grab his notes, take over. Because <laughs> we forget. See, my job is to keep reminding you of these things over and over and over. I gotta remind you that sanctification is a process. Yeah, there's an increasing, but it takes a lifetime because we're kings and queens and we're gonna go live in a castle, not a mobile home. Castles take centuries to build. A mobile, four minutes. Where do you wanna spend eternity? Not in a manufactured home. I'm gonna keep reminding you, keep going, keep increasing, do this. I'm gonna keep reminding you of verse three of this text. God has given everything that you need for life and godliness. There is not a barrier to fruitfulness or effectiveness in your life. You're believing a lie. Stop believing a lie. You have been given everything you need for life and godliness. It is a promise. I'm gonna keep reminding you that the king of the universe has adopted you that you are a son, a daughter of the creator and sustainer of the universe. You have won the jackpot, period. I'm gonna keep reminding you of that. I'm gonna keep telling you that God is for you, so who could be against you? I'm gonna keep telling you that. I did this series to try, hey, inspire us, are you kidding? Let's rule and reign in Grant's Pass. If you really believe that Jesus Christ, the creator and sustainer of the universe is for you. If you really believe Romans 8, 28, that says that all things work together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. If you really believe just those two promises, how would you live in 2017? Would you say in your neighborhood, I'm gonna change my neighborhood from just being a crash place to being a community. I'm gonna be the catalyst for that. That's what I'm doing in my neighborhood. Would you start a fish farm and then hire people that no one else will hire to work the fish farm? Because sociologists are finding this right now, that almost the best way to engage the human heart is with animals. Can you guess why that might be? What was Adam told to do? Yeah, name the animals, rule these things. It's part of our DNA. Of course that's gonna work. Of course it's good. Would you do that? 
Would you write a book? Would you write a play? Would you write a musical? Would you put it on at the Boys and Girls Club? Would you make a movie? Would you get just kind of your buddies together? Let's make a movie. Why not, man? Why, why not do that? Would you start a music group in one of the schools around our county that cannot afford music lessons because music lessons are so important for young kids? Would you do something like that? Would you start a Bible study, Bible college in Grants Pass? Would you open your home up as a safe home for trafficked women? If you really believe God is for you and nothing can be against you and all things are working together for good, would you be willing to do that? Would you become a safe family or foster care or adopt? What would you do if you really believed just those two promises, knowing your destiny is one day to rule and reign with King Jesus, what would you do? Would you pray for people believing they'd be healed? Would you and another family maybe go into the worst neighborhoods in Grants Pass and say, we're gonna buy two of the worst homes in Grants Pass and we're gonna rehab those homes and we're gonna live in those homes and we're gonna pray like John Knox, give us this neighborhood or we die. And in some neighborhoods you may die in Grants Pass. See, that's my hope. We're kings and queens in training. We don't have to wait. We've been given everything we need for life and for godliness right now. That you have been cleansed. You're not what you were. You're not an addict. You're not an adulterer. You're not, you fill it in. That's not what you are. You're now a saint of the most high God who has called you to be an outpost, a colony, a sampling of coming attractions. That's what we are. My job is weekly to remind us of those things, myself included, because I forget. I forget. And we get to come to the table where we're reminded of a number of things. One of them is that fact that we've been cleansed. You come to the table and you drink and you eat of forgiveness. You drink and you eat of oneness. You drink and you eat, 1 Corinthians 11 says, of the return of Christ, that one day he's going to return and one day cancer. How many times do we pray for cancer today? Too many times. I hate cancer. One day, that evil of cancer is going to be ripped out by our king and thrown into a lake of fire. And it's gone forever. And we can live that truth right now. So we come and we eat and we drink of forgiveness and power and strength and inspiration. Being reminded of not only what Jesus did for us on the cross, but also what Jesus did to us when he saved us. That old things are gone and new things are here. And nothing is impossible with God. There is no barrier. And so Jesus, today, as we partake in the cup and bread, may you remind each of us that we have been cleansed. That our old heart has been removed and a new heart has been given to us. And your spirit now empowers that new heart that we don't have to settle for cheap thrills, but we can have vision, 
long-sightedness for deep, abiding, flourishing joy. And so this day, may you remind every believing heart at Edgewater Christian Fellowship that you are for them. And if you are for us, who can be against us? May you remind every believing heart that you have cleansed us and we don't have to settle for the cheap thrills that leave us empty, but instead we can have vision for deep abiding, fruitful, flourishing joy. So would you fill and empower us? And may we go into Grant's path as kings and queens in training, servant leaders, leading not by law, but leading through love, the most powerful force in the universe. May we do that, I pray. So strengthen and remind us. We pray this in your name, amen.